Hey everyone, welcome back to the Blessed Child Podcast. This is your host, Renee. So after the last episode was published, I have got to admit, I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm feeling a little more comfortable. I got some reassuring messages from you guys and I appreciate y'all communicating with me. And yeah, it's crazy when you start to feel your feelings and let them out. They do leave your body like a yeah, air balloon. You just kind of deflate a little bit, ready to be filled up with the next wave of emotions. It's pretty cool. <clears throat> so I just, I wanted to talk about that for a minute because in the Moonies, we learned how to deny our senses. During deconstruction, healing and leaving the Moonies, we've learned to, I, speaking from my own experience, I've learned to intellectualize my feelings and start to poke at them and categorize them and look at them and acknowledge that maybe they're there, but I don't actually feel them. They exist. Now I can, I can admit, yeah, my, my, my body and uh, my body has sensations, right? So I started categorizing and intellectualizing, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think that's a needed step. You can't just go from denying your feelings to feeling them. I think you do have to examine them. There is a period where you have to examine them and get familiar with them. And in that familiarity, you're a little bit distant. You're acquaintances. You don't know each other. And then there's another step when you get more comfortable and start to trust yourself and trust your feelings and you let them in. And then, whoa, it feels like you took three steps back because now you're actually feeling your feelings. And Jesus Christ, that can be really overwhelming. <laughs> And I think that's where I'm at, where, you know, I've come this far in deconstruction where it feels like you've taken three steps back, but in actuality, you're finally living. I'm finally living. I'm really enjoying my life right now. I couldn't have anything better. I am loving my family life. Those ducks I mentioned a couple episodes back are laying eggs, y'all. Have you seen the price of eggs? We tend to them every day. We throw out feed like... Belle or Cinderella, and <laughs> then we get little duck nuggets at the end of the day, and it's just beautiful. Um, so we have that going on. I'm actually a basketball coach, too, at the YMCA, and that's super fun. We play games all week, um, three times a week. And uh, yeah, life is good. Life couldn't be better. I'm running the tattoo shop. I'm I'm fully in it. And not only am I fully in it, I'm feeling it too. So anxiety does come also with those fun and enjoyable and joyous and grateful emotions. There is a wave of anxiety. I'm a little less socially inclined at the moment. Um, it's a little bit harder for me to keep conversations right now just because uh, I get really overstimulated very quickly. Or maybe because I'm just doing a lot. I have a lot on my plate. So I get overstimulated and I am very particular with the people that I hang out with. But anyways, I think that's a step in deconstruction. I just wanted to share with you that post-intellectualization and acquaintancing your own emotions and your body, it's going to start actually feeling like pretty overwhelming. And that's okay. Let's have grace and compassion for our bodies. Um... All right, so this is a very interesting chapter. If you're new here, I've been dissecting brainwashing, aka thought reform or constant re-education, 
in the Unification Church through the blueprint that Robert J. Lifton laid out, the eight criteria of thought reform from his book, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism, a study of brainwashing in China. Now, he studied POWs and Chinese college students um, with their communist influence, and he documented that. Now, when I read the loaded language page, it's so, so short. It's just a tiny little blip in the eight criteria of thought reform. And I was, I was, I was disappointed. I was severely disappointed. Uh, why? Because loaded language, I mean, that's everything. That's the, that's the chain that keeps you on the leash, right? So it's on pa uh, page 429, and it's literally like three paragraphs. It's so short. But I think the reason I'm disappointed is because Robert J. Lifton documented the uh, brainwashing phenomenon for people who were born and then brainwashed. These are POWs who grew up and had their own identity. These are Chinese college students who already were adults when they were re-educated. Okay, so it's not the same. So I, I really want to give you some support and encouragement if you're a second generation adult of a cult like the Moonies, you probably have a lot of insight on what loaded language is. And I don't have it all. I have just a little bit from my own perspective, but I'm sure we could write a whole lot more than three paragraphs on loaded language. Um, so Robert J. Lifton does say that that language of the totalist environment is characterized by the thought terminating cliche. And basically he compares language to being the chains on someone's mind. So language is the first thing you learn about being human. You learn how to talk because all animals can walk and eat and shit, but it's only people that can talk with language. So language is a very powerful and transcendent tool that humans have. And if it's your whole life, you're trying to expand your language and expand your ability to express yourself and how you experience the world. Language is important. Even if you can't speak or see or hear, you're still going to find a way to communicate in a codable and decodable language. It's vital to being human. It's vital to the human experience. Now, what happens when you limit that language or severely control the reality of that language. So we're going to talk about some of the loaded language in the Moonies. I'm going to try to categorize them, but it's really hard. It hasn't been done before, I don't think. Um, so this is just precedence. And please, if anybody's inspired to build on this, I think it would be important. Full, full stop before we go on, though. In this episode, I intentionally scatter it with all the loaded language I can recall growing up in the Moonies. And hopefully you can alternate your understanding of that loaded language. Now, if you're not ready to do that, then pause. Find a safe place. Get mentally prepared because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. One of the first things I heard growing up in the Moonies is that Sun Myung Moon and Hak Jahan Moon, two random people I don't know and I will never talk to, were my true parents and that they picked my parents and that because of them, I'm alive. So that, that's the sacred science. 
uh, we had sacred reverence from Moon. We bowed to his picture every day. I carried his picture around in my pocket for protection. I prayed to him. I had reverence for him like he was God himself. And that's the sacred science. But then the language around him was also very loaded. We were told that he was our true father, that they were the true family, that I had to have uh, a life of faith centered around God and true parents, that I needed to go through the three stages of completion, which was uh, formation, growth, and perfection. That was constant. That was always told to me on my birthday. And what that was, was the framework for being Moon's lackey. That wasn't the three stages of perfection for being a human being. That was the three stages of completion for being a fucking robot in the Moonies. <clears throat> let me let me explain. So when we were young and we were reading the Hundike book every morning, uh, the Divine Principle every morning, the Sacred Science. If we had questions about the faith or the religion or saw inconsistencies, I was often put in my place with, oh, this is just your formation stage. You know, this, these, these are questions you're going to be asking during that time, and this is what you need to know. Invite God into your life. Center yourself around God and true parents and practice your life of faith. Build your life of faith. And if I had questions, well, this doesn't seem right to me. This isn't fitting right with me. Okay, well, then you're not practicing your life of faith enough. And here are some conditions you need to do to practice your life of faith. And by the time I was 11, I was fasting for three days to prove my life of faith. I was starving myself. But because the language was so loaded with this is a faith practice, and this is a test of faith and a test for how much you love God, it wasn't viewed as encouraged anorexia or self-harm or neglect from our parents who weren't feeding us for three days and encouraging us not to eat, in fact, go longer. It was viewed as a faith practice, supported and encouraged by the entire Muni community and delivered directly ordered from Moon himself. But because the language wasn't there, I couldn't convey how hungry I was and how hurt I felt, uh, how tired I was and that I was on the brink of passing out. And um, I, I just thought I was experiencing a spiritual experience. And that's where it gets murky with... Um, emotions. I think cults like to arrest your emotions and then disguise them as spiritual experiences. So let me give you some examples. When you are tired, when you are hungry, when you are in need of sleep, when you're in need of shelter, when you're cold, when you're hot, when you need some like solid hugs or human relations or yeah even sex itself is a need human beings wouldn't be alive without sex it is absolutely a need uh, we also wouldn't be sane without 
relationships. We need touch. We need physical affection. That's been proven in Harlow's Monkeys, a science experiment. Uh, uh, torture on monkeys. But we're not talking about that. Um, <clears throat> we need these things. But in the Moonies, we're taught to deprive ourselves of warm showers, of hugs and kisses, of relationships, of sexual relationships, of intimacy. We're taught to deprive ourselves of food. We're taught to deprive ourselves of sleep. And when we are constantly and chronically deprived of our needs, our emotions will be in a heightened state of arousal. Any example of that is think of a toddler who hasn't had their nap. They're going to turn into a different person. Think of a person who's working really hard and hasn't eaten breakfast or lunch. They're going to turn into an irritable, different person. That's because needs are directly related to our emotions and the intensity of our emotions. So think of your chronic deprivation of needs in the Moonies. Think of your intense, powerful, and overwhelming emotions. Now think of those emotions being arrested by language, sacred science, milieu control, the demand for purity, and think of the eight criteria arresting those intense emotions and directing them like Jesus take the wheel to see true father as God himself. Think about all the times that you were on STF struggling with only four hours of sleep and you've been walking six miles all day and then all of a sudden started raining. You were caught in the rain and your emotions were so intense and then all of a sudden you thought about your parents and boom, you had a spiritual experience. That is completely artificially induced. That is not God. That is your intense, chronic, chronic lack of of needs being met and your intense emotional state being so raw and then you were manipulated mystically manipulated and directed into thinking that this is god this is must this must be how god is testing me and challenging me and oh my gosh it's raining and yes it's raining and i'm miserable and i'm carrying my product but this is nature and this is intense and god is intense and God wouldn't give me anything I can't handle. And two parents is protecting me. And I'm going to lean into my dad's and I think I could really find something here. Um, and then, yeah, you experience a spiritual experience. You, in, you experience an intense, powerful, moving, mystically manipulated, guided experience. That's, I mean, your emotions are so built up, they got to dump somewhere. And then it feels like your life of faith is just deepening wow, my life of faith. Then you go back to your group and you tell this amazing testimony about how much you suffered. Oh, so much suffering. And I was overwhelmed. And I no, maybe not even overwhelmed is the word we'd use in the Moonies. Just, I was just continuing my course. And then it started raining. And I knew God was cleansing my soul and purging my sadness and I felt so in intense and intimate with God and your parents and I knew they were protecting me and somehow I made it back to the van alive and now I'm here to tell you guys what a great day I had uh that like literally happens in the Moonies I don't know if anybody else can relate to that but that is definitely an experience I've had on OLT being labor trafficked for moon <laughs> um 
So in the Moonies, there's this term that salvation comes through the family and we are one global family and there's this huge group enmeshment, family enmeshment, and they instill in you group and collective guilt with this flowery loaded language. So when I was in the cult and I reported that I had a spiritual experience through through intense suffering and uh, reported to my team what it did or somebody reported that to me what it did this quote-unquote spiritual experience was envied. And this is where the cult of confession has its hold and influence. Your chronic suffering leads to a psychotic break and it's rebranded as a spiritual experience, something to strive for and and the standard to uphold. So these psychotic breaks are envied, like a suffering-induced, emotionally charged, mystically manipulated spiritual high. And it's enviable. And so people continue to torture themselves in hope of a delusional and misguided spiritual experience. And this is the danger of being in a cult because they redefine language. Anywhere else would have called these spiritual experiences, quote unquote, psychotic breaks, chronic suffering, intense, emotionally charged, cognitive distorted experiences. But in the cult, We longed for them because we put them on a pedestal. People tortured themselves into the point of having a quote-unquote spiritual experience, and that is not a safe practice. Okay, let's go back. Anyways, so that's loaded language. Loaded language is the cherry on top, right? You can't have that kind of manipulation of someone's soul without all the other criteria that we talked about. You need to have the sacred science. You need to have all of those overwhelming, arresting, authoritarian, totalistic ideologies in place to get to where you are now. Because language is just the leash, you know? It's the chain around someone's brain. And Robert J. Lifton, a little disappointed about what he talked about, but let's go into the book and and mention what he talked about. Hey, everybody. This is me again. Um, I... If you didn't know, I just pull these episodes out of my ass. Like, there's no script. I just explore little facets of my mind and talk into the ether. And in doing so, I miss a lot of vital information. Now, I just ramble on in these episodes and I forget to stop, pause, and explain to somebody like they've never heard about what a thought terminating cliche is or what the eight criteria is. So I'm going to be stopping a lot and adding more information on top of what I've talked about and what I've covered in the first recording. Here's the first one. I mentioned thought terminating cliches or thought stopping cliches and didn't really explain it. So a thought terminating cliche is a form of loaded language and it's often passed off as ancient wisdom or the standard for the religious context like in the Moonies. It's the standard, right? And what it does is it terminates the conversation. It terminates the thought that you're having. It stops somebody from exploring and expressing themselves fully. It stops somebody from exploring further avenues in their mind or their heart. Um, There are so many different thought stopping cliches in the Moonies. I'll rattle off some like um, when somebody gets physically injured it's often looked at as a form of repentance or indemnity. And that's the end of that's the end of the thought. Like somebody got hurt on OLT, like their knees started giving out and then now they need knee replacements. 
um, or knee surgery. That's looked at like instead of talking further about the labor trafficking conditions in place for somebody to wear their knees out at the age of 18, we terminate that conversation. We shut it down by saying, oh, well, that's just the indemnity that they're paying. And you load them full of historical, racial, cultural guilt and make it okay. So that's a thought stopping cliche. It's indemnity. That's a big one. Now for relationship loaded language, we've got if two people are talking, you can shut down that conversation and fill them with guilt and shame immediately with two words. In the Moonies, it's called chapter two. The Moonies recode relationships, much needed relationships, intimacy as a need. They recode intimacy as a problem, as a distraction, as a addiction, (laughs) and make it, they give it a negative connotation. And that is in the second chapter of their divine principle, which is their sacred science. So everything revolves around the sacred science and it fills people with guilt and shame about their basic needs. Financially, there's a there's a thought stopping cliche. Just as one example, if you're not tithing and giving your time and your money to the church, when you're fundraising every day to make money from Moon, if you use even two dollars, even even one penny for yourself to get yourself a new pair of shoes because you've walked through your shoes because you walk eight miles a day to fundraise for Moon and you're on a labor trafficking program, if you use even one cent to get yourself some water or any basic needs while you're being labor trafficked for Moon, you're going to be guilted and shamed by the thought terminating cliche of do not misuse public money. That is public money. That is not your money. That is a loaded term. All Moonies know what the misuse of public money is. In the real world, what the hell is public money? Is that your tax money? I don't... In the real world, that's not a term, public money. That's a cult speak. Mentally, if you are reaching into your cognitive dissonance and trying to find a way out of the cult, mentally, if you're seeing inconsistencies in the religion and in the leaders and in the examples and you see hypocrisy and you see them gambling with the money that you made on OLT, if you see real evidence that you're in a scam, people are going to shut that thought down by saying you're struggling with your life of faith. You need to dig deeper into your faith and dig deeper into your doubts and discover God. That is a thought terminating cliche. Wait, hold up. The Moonies are so loaded in their language. They have so many thought stopping cliches that they even have a thought stopping cliche for the act of digging into your cognitive dissonance to discover a way out. And that is called being in the midway position. And to terminate you digging into your cognitive dissonance to realize you're in a cult, they'll say, reach out to your central figure, your authoritarian command center, reach out to a central figure and report and purge and do the cult of confession and get out of that mid midway position by making give and take with a higher standard that all of that all of that is loaded language if you are not a Mooney, I am probably confusing the fuck out of you. But if you are a Mooney, I might be tickling your brain by making these new neural pathways for the types of loaded language that we grew up with. Next, if you're having cultural 
or identity issues, which Robert J. Lifton actually described earlier in the book in earlier chapters that people who are people who are multicultural, people who are biracial, people who have parents from multiple from different countries actually have what's called identity crisis or more susceptible to identity confusion because they're searching where do they belong this is this is something he documented and so moonies most of us are biracial moon intentionally put our parents like couldn't speak the same language intentionally put our parents together who couldn't speak the same language and so it created a generation of vulnerable third culture kids i think that's what it's called third culture kids you're raised with more flexibility but also more vulnerability to being influenced wanting to be accepted you're going to do more to feel like you belong somewhere he described a third culture kid as having as being more readily a convert of brainwashing because being a third culture kid is so difficult so moonies were intentionally I believe, made to be third culture kids for green cards, passports, whatever our parents needed to make Moon's empire bigger. But also a result of that is that a lot of us second generation kids didn't have a solid identity or a culture that we can identify with. And so we were way more vulnerable to making our own, to being called, well, we're second generation and this is our culture. We're going to make our own. So it's something that should be studied further. I just wanted to put that out there that people who have multi, that parents from multiple cultures and countries and backgrounds are actually more susceptible to, yes, being flexible, but also vulnerable to brainwashing and totalism. Wow, what? That's new. Um, That was new for me when I read that in the book. I was like, damn it. (laughs) Makes sense. All right. The next thought stopping cliche we have oh and the the thought stopping cliche in that whole what I was getting to is that second generation blessed children moonies SGA adults we were often told who we were and that in and of itself is a thought stopping cliche it was explained to me I can't hang out with those certain people I can't date I can't explore intimate relationships in private I can't do certain things other kids can do in their normal development, whatever, whatever it was, there was always a weird way to stick to the standards, quote unquote. But it was, we were told we were shut down. Our critical thought was shut down. Well, why are we different? Why do we have to do things this way? Why do I have to bow 40, 40 bows every day? Why do I have to wake up at 6am to do 100k? Why do I have to call this person true parents? Why do I have to call this person true daddy? Why do I have to give my portion of food? Why do I have to suffer? Why do I, why can't I sleep? Why can't I eat? Why can't I have a normal relationship with my family, my grandma and grandpa? Why can't I have a normal relationship with my real cousins? Why can't we see our real family? Oh, it's because you're second generation. It's because you're special. You're different. You're a blessed child. We have to protect you. We have to isolate you. That's a thought-stopping cliche. It's because you're different. You have the cultural identity. And that is a thought-stopping cliche to call people second-gen, blessed child, Jacob's child, offering child. It's a thought-stopping cliche because it stops your critical thought about why you're being treated different. The other one I wanted to talk about is that there's a spiritual, there are spiritual thought-stopping cliches. Spirituality is real. It's the transcendent. And everybody has a creative mind that can be unique and different to you. 
I don't really believe in organized religion because I feel like that arrests people's creativity and how they want to experience their own spirituality. But in the Moonies, the the thought-stopping cliches in spirituality, in spiritual terms, are, are calling a guy you don't even know a messiah, a true father, calling those two random people true parents, calling their whole family true family. And so it's a thought-stopping cliche because you can't actually then critically think about who these people are and it takes hold of your creativity and your transcendent spiritual being and it forms you to perform in ways that limit your growth and I want to tie that into in the church suffering is often confused as finding God's heart. Moon would often brag about how much he suffered to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so that created a benchmark for everybody. Everybody should eat only three grains of rice. Everybody should only flush the toilet um, after you've peed in it six times. Nobody should have that more than one pair of shoes. Like these are things that he said, right? This, these are limiting your needs, putting limitations on your needs. You shouldn't eat. You shouldn't drink. You shouldn't have intimate relationships. You shouldn't sleep. Um, all these things, putting limitations on them. And in doing so, you're conditioning a whole community to normalize suffering to make it a benchmark. Now, here's the thing I noticed from being a tattoo artist for the last three years and also a human being on this earth and living through a cult. People are often confused or easily manipulated or just flexible on their perception of pain. When I'm tattooing somebody, one out of four people will say, wow, this actually feels good. Oh, I miss that feeling. Oh, I've been itching for a tattoo. God, I miss that feeling. It's pain. But pain and pleasure, believe it or not, exist in the same spot of your brain. It's if it's pain or if it's pleasure, it doesn't really matter. It still stimulates the same circuit of the brain. Often people will feel very relieved when it's done and be flooded with euphoria, a euphoric feeling. God, I can't wait to do that again. That's often what I'll hear after I finish a tattoo. Now, thinking about that same concept about how pain and pleasure are perceived or live in the same part of your brain, when I think about Moonies and how Moon instilled a sense of suffering and longing for suffering and normalized suffering and then recoded it, rebranded it and repolished it to seem like pleasure. In my opinion, the language was so loaded to confuse pain as pleasure, as getting to know God's heart, as indemnity, as steps towards restoration. Hey, future Rena here. So pain isn't only called indemnity because that kind of has a negative connotation. It's also called an offering. Like when you get hurt or injured, you should offer it to God because that pain can be used as a payment for your descendants and yourself to get into Chanelguk, to get into heaven. So it's, it's, a, it's a much needed release. So when you get hurt, you feel actually relief. Like, oh, finally, I can get rid of some of this pressure to be um, perfect because my pain can now pay for me to get into heaven. And so that pain is now an opportunity to give unconditionally to the future, to your descendants, and to yourself. And you feel that existential release from the 
the unbearable demands for purity and selflessness. So now you're recategorizing and rebranding pain as an opportunity, as an offering. And that is very much how I viewed pain in the Moonies. And as much as it's fucked up, it worked. And and we even basked in our suffering during testimony nights publicly and made suffering feel like a benchmark for feeling like community and in that you feel relief so I think a lot of Moonies might have been conditioned for yeah I've said it before self-harming behavior but also confusing pain with pleasure and normalizing abuse yeah I always say that normalizing abuse for sure but it's just really interesting to think and to know that pain and pleasure are pretty much almost the same. If you're in pain or if you're in pleasure, it'll tickle your brain and you'll feel a sense of relief and a euphoria when it's done or during the process. So very interesting. Anyways, those are just some thought-stopping cliches I wanted to go over and lay down those before we go into this episode. And let's go back into the episode. Here we go. So language is the expression of unity and exclusiveness. So it's part of the things that make a Mooney a Mooney, one of us. You could understand the language. Like if I say, you know, formation, growth, and completion stage, a Mooney's going to know what that is. Those are all the ticks you need to check off to become a perfect Mooney and get the blessing, right? If, if, if I said ideal family or liberation or indemnity or course of restoration, um, or conjugal relationships, or have you started family, um, don't have give and take with them, make sure it's a brother-sister relationship, um, or even spiritual experience, wow, or I was spoken to by God. Any of those things are pretty loaded in the Moonies. Other people wouldn't understand it. It's the us versus them. It's, the, uh, it's what makes it exclusive and a little bit culty. Maybe a little bit is an understatement. But... Sorry if that triggered you, people. I um, I just got to get it out there. So language is the what creates an us versus them dichotomy. The language can be owned and operated by the movement. Like Moon himself could say something and then all of a sudden, yeah, he arrests language and controls it and, and compels us to use it. Like, the, like when he said, you know what, we're not going to do amen anymore. We're not going to finish our prayers with amen. We're going to say, adju, okay? That is an example of the leader being able to completely own and operate the language and in doing so also operate the movement and the people in it. And Robert J. Lifton does say that no compunctions are felt about manipulating or loading it in any fashion. And the only consideration is its usefulness to the cause. So Moon didn't give a shit that we looked fucking crazy ending our prayers in Aju. He doesn't care about the people. He just cares about how useful it is for his purpose. And it was to create a bare wedge between us versus them. The effects of language on ideological totalism can be summed up in one word, constriction. He is, so to speak, linguistically deprived. And since language is so central to all human experiences, his capacities for thinking and feeling are immensely narrowed. You can feel chained by language. Not everyone exposed feels chains, but in effect, everyone is profoundly confined by these verbal fetters. 
As in other aspects of totalism, this loading may provide an initial sense of insight and security, eventually followed by uneasiness. This uneasiness may result in a retreat into a rigid orthodoxy in which an individual shouts the ideological jargon all the louder in order to demonstrate his conformity, hide his own dilemma and his despair, and protect himself from the fear and guilt he would feel should he attempt to use words and phrases other than the correct ones. Or else he must adopt a complex pattern of inner division and dutifully produce the expected cliches in public performances, while in his private moments he searches for more meaning meaningful avenues of expression. Hey, so I wanted to pause because I'm reminded of another real-time event that's happening right now. So in the ex-Mooney world, there's a lot of activists. We grew up together, parallel each other. Maybe we we're acquaintances. Maybe I saw a lot of you guys at church functions. And on the other side of that, there are also all the church leaders that are also my age that I grew up with. So there's the ex-Moonies and then the Moonies. There's, there's some extreme polarity there. And when I think of regurgitating speech, I think of, unfortunately, the people I grew up with that are now leaders in the church. You do put your, your information out there. You guys are making podcasts. Y'all are making, y'all are defending the church. Y'all are um, speaking out for the movement and continuing the indoctrination process for young people today. And I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm truly concerned because all it is is dutifully regurgitating the conformity and the demands for being a second gen. And it's very rigid. And it's sad that when I listen to the people I grew up with who are now leaders in the church, I hear a lot of pain and I hear a lot of sadness and suffering and self-sacrifice. And I don't... I don't know how to help, but I would hope that maybe they can find some quiet time away from the, the totalist ideology and the demand for conformity and really figure out who they are. Because it's really sad when you grow up some, with somebody and then see them dive deeper and deeper and deeper into extremism to the point of self-harm and losing themselves. And that's just what I think of when I think of people that are dutifully regurgitating the doctrine. And they're, they're only performing in a way that they think that they would be accepted because there is no other way. The other way is total annihilation of self. And that is terrifying and a huge part of controlling somebody. We've talked about this in previous episodes. But that's something that I'm thinking about. There is this odd dynamic of Moonies and ex-Moonies alike speaking out in very powerful ways. And you can, I just wanted to express that like this is happening in real time. I am witnessing this. And unfold. So let's get back to the episode. Okay. Let's look at some loaded language that I wrote down and dissect that according to those words. So growing up in the Moonies, if you were to falter from the group dynamics and the group expectations, you were told Oh, you gotta, you gotta hold yourself to a higher standard. You have to have standards, and these standards, let's let's dive into it, were laid out by a hypocrite Moon, who said, "Yeah, you can't have any sex," and then he was having sex with everybody, right? Sleeping with everybody's wives, m making multiple children, 
with multiple women. What do you have, like four wives? <laughs> so we addressed our cognitive dissonance. We addressed that we understood that there was inconsistencies in the standards. But we, because we called it double standard and double life midway position, um, it made it okay. It shut down that thought. And you were just like, okay, everybody knows, but we'll just label it as like, okay, it's just God's standard. Oh, it's it's God's standard. Um. So let me explain. So we had to give up our properties to the church. Moon had multiple mansions in multiple countries. We had to fast where Moon ate luxury foods and the Moon family went to all the Ivy League schools. We had to go to STF. We traveled like sardines in a van while the Moon family flies around in private jets. And the reason that this is okay and accepted is because the Moonies term this double standard as God standard. The Moon family is a crime family, but we call them God's family and they live at God's standard. And that's a thought stopping cliche because that's really fucked up. That's uh, that's very much manipulative cult speak. Um, you were given communal guilt for wanting to sleep in at GOP. You could not sleep past, what, six o'clock? You had to get up to build a culture of faith and create God's ideal dwelling place. You have to wake up and take ownership. But that's just cold speak. It, it was sleep deprivation. Physically, it was torture, chronic torture. And then there's other words like you have to take responsibility you have to take full responsibility for your feelings, your emotions, and your life of faith. That means nobody's going to help you. If you're suffering, that's on you. You have to take full responsibility. Nobody cares. That's that's normalizing abuse, but that was heard so much. People need support. As we said, people need affection. People need relationships. People need food, clothes, shelter, sex, comfort, sleep. But often those thoughts are when those needs are brought up they're terminated with well you just need to take full responsibility for yourself and then god will help you um there's also you have to be unconditional that was a big one that was told you know if you're fasting and you're hungry if you're doing 50 40 bows or you're doing your conditions or you're just wanting to be a fucking kid you're told you have to be unconditional. You have to give unconditional. To who? To the higher-ups right above you. To your parents, to your authorities, to the reverends, to the brothers and sisters around you. Create a culture of heart and a kingdom of heaven and Chanel Guk and Hyojung culture. You have to be unconditional. You have to be serving, sacrificial. You have to live for the sake of others. These are all beautiful flowery terms to disguise abuse, neglect, Harm on children, harm to yourself, self-harm, very normalizing self-harm because it's just like a plane. You can't take care of anybody else until you take care of yourself. Your needs need to be met. In the Moonies, they're chronically deprived and you're conditioned to be unconditional when in fact all the entire community is being is being conditional. That's what conditions are. It's conditional. It's conditional love. It's conditional affection. It's conditional communion. It's conditional relationships in the Moonies. 
You can't be yourself or you will not be accepted. That is not an unconditional environment. That is very much a authoritarian cult. Hey, future Renee here. So yes, I'm talking about conditions, but let's unload that language. So what conditions do is they chronically stress you out. They deprive you of your needs of food, sex, sleep, intimacy, just the basic comforts that would allow you to be yourself. Well, chronic conditions, waking up at 2 a.m., reading Hundake, cold showers, um, cutting off relationships, not allowing people to date or have sex or masturbate, not allowing people to eat, and really making their needs selfish and recoding it as self-centered. Um, what that does is it chronically stresses you out. It intensifies your emotions. It creates a vulnerability for you to make you easily influenceable and manipulated so you can have those quote-unquote spiritual experiences, which again is loaded language. All right, let's go back. Conditions are conditioning you to, to comply to the totalistic environment, the milieu control, the society. It's a way to totally hijack someone's autonomy. And exa it's, it's exactly what it's saying. It's conditioning you to be a good little brainwashed Mooney, heavenly soldier. And it's very opposite of what it claims to be. But that's loaded language, right? I hope this is making sense. Um, another loaded language is make sure you stay on course in your life of faith through your formation, growth, and completion stage for your future spouse. What the fuck is a future spouse? No, no. I'm, I'm talking about how often it was used in the church. It was like dangled in front of you like a carrot, like a present, like a like a promise, perfect little packaged up human trafficked, sex trafficked gift that would be absolutely yours, only yours with absolute faith, absolute love and obedience. Your perfect future spouse was also going through the formation, growth and completion stage. And y'all would be the ideal family at the end of this very arduous task of human trafficking, labor trafficking and conditional existence. Do you guys remember that? <sighs> Anyways, I don't even want to talk about that shit. It's too triggering. I cannot. I was... Hey, I got overstimulated, so I had to like skip that. But let me finish that thought. You need to be able to find fulfilling relationships that are unique to you. And there is no formula for that. That That's all you and whatever you and whoever you find, that's, that's up to you. That's your own unique relationship. Now, the thing is in the cult, the cult redefines language around love and crushes and intimacy. They do call it addictions, distractions, and temptations until you're allowed to have a relationship with the person you're matched with, blessed with, you're married to, forced marriage. And in all of that, you're skipping very necessary steps towards relationship building, skill building, finding out how to have a relationship, maintain a relationship, treat a person with respect, have loyalty, have trust, build trust, build, understand what loyalty really is and value a human being. In the cult, people are often reduced to external and internal attractions. You're going to go through a hundred different women or men before you find that matching partner, the potential matching partner that you are somewhat attracted to. What do they have to offer you? What are you, and, and that, that really like, reduces a human being to only qualities that you can consume and that you're attracted to. And in that, 
the Moonies are breeding a bunch of psychopathic shitheads that don't understand the nuances of love, of attraction, of intimacy, of partnership, of trust, of loyalty. We're, we're like, when, when I was in the Moonies, I didn't understand that my actions can affect somebody else. And I am responsible for how I make other people feel. In the Moonies, it was like, well, I was trained to say like, oh, well, I'm sorry, that's how you feel. Like, I didn't have anything to do with it. Um, because we were trained by a narcissist, Moon, that's how he operated. So a lot of us are like, emotionally illiterate. And that's what I saw in the matching process. People were reduced to external and internal and that's loaded language in and of itself and commodities and it didn't set you up for proper success in real relationships okay we're going to talk about the matching process in a very short way because that's about all i can tolerate the matching process okay what is that so that's like a flowery loaded language for the human trafficking that goes on in the moonies the marriage blessing ceremonies with young people usually starts in their teenagers. So the matching process, every Mooney knows what that is. It's like a spectacle sport. It's like a bunch of parents that are sexually repressed get together and start playing matchmaker. And the matching process, it's usually, you're usually told, hey, um, we know you better than you, you know yourself. Trust, trust the process, trust the God, uh, do your conditions and there will be a sign. Pray for a sign. We will be looking deliriously and delusionally for a sign for your future spouse. And on these delirious like trips, um, parents will get a wild hair and be like, hey, let's start talking to this guy over here. And you'll start talking, it, but it's all chaperone. There's no kissing, no hugging, no touching, no actually like getting to know each other in a safe place it's very conditional and there's high stakes high pressure high expectation there's a lot of guilt and shame and you'll you'll be fully vested in the first one I'm sure or very very nervous you feel like something's wrong you'll feel like something's off because guess what you're not in a safe place these people don't actually care about you they 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 are your abusers your handlers they are very conditional in how they want you to perform and how they will accept you. So it's not a safe place. The parents um, are deceptively sweet, but the matching process is not safe. The reason it's not safe, and I'll just give one example, is because you are a young child who your brain isn't fully developed and you are completely trusting of your parents to match you to the right person. But here's the thing. Nobody knows what it's like to be you. Nobody knows how you see, how you smell, how you feel. And choosing a life partner very much involves all your senses and nobody can feel those for you. Also, you're not really developed well enough to know what you want. And if you haven't actually been allowed to explore intimacy in private, you don't really have the skills to understand yourself and what you like. So so for me, going through multiple matching processes was very toxic and damaging because your parents are all involved. It's a public sport. Everybody's judging you. Even your siblings can cast whatever judgment on you. And it all sounds like it's from God. But as we've established before, it's just a bunch of gossiping bitches casting a lot of judgment. And it's very controlling. You'll look for signs in the community and some people will manipulate this excitement and you'll get matched with somebody that's taking advantage of you. 
that only wants you for certain external factors like the political status of your family or your education or your job choice or even just your looks or that you were half Asian or that you were all white or whatever race you were. It's really, really manipulative. And in my matching processes, I've learned I learned to shut down and not trust anybody, not let anybody in. Also, I had no idea of what secure attachment was because, you know, you'd be invested with one person for a summer and then they'd be gone. They'd be matched to somebody else out of nowhere with no explanation. Like you thought you were in the process with them, but turns out you weren't and there's no accountability. You can't even get mad. Like, how can you, you, you put all your, like, it's so high stakes. You're like, yeah, I'm going to get married to this person. But if they disappear, no big deal because because I'm promised to God, right? <laughs> so it creates a really strange environment. It's very toxic. It's very damaging and has long-term effects for sure. I didn't learn to trust anybody until I met my husband. Um, and I had to unlearn a lot of toxic conditioning about certain terms, but we can always talk about that later. This is about all I can muster up right now. The end. Relationship abuse. Uh, loaded language can be make sure to maintain the horizontal vertical relationships make sure you're god-centered centered on moon centered on the movement not your own autonomy and what you guys want to do with your own damn relationship but make sure it's centered on on the church make sure you have a brother and sister relationship. Maintain that with the people who hurt you. Maintain that with complete and total strangers. Maintain that with the, someone you're in love with. Incestuous much? Overstepping boundaries much of the cult? Yes. Using the term, the loaded language, you know, everybody's your brother and sister here. All these strangers are your brother and sister. It really confuses the value of true brother and sister relationships. Like when I was growing up, I had three brothers and I was told everybody was my brother. Everybody in the cult was my brother. So I didn't really value, I didn't really understand how important and special my three brothers were and how special and amazing those relationships are. And I'm still learning about how great those relationships are. And I'm, and in that I'm learning true, true gratitude for my family because not everybody's your fucking family. But when you grow up in a cult, it's very confusing because you're using these, these fam family linguistics with everybody. Everybody's your aunt and uncle. Everybody's your brother and sister. Um, no, they're fucking not. And it's really, really confusing. And it messes with your value systems, your personal value systems and your boundaries. Um, if you saw a boy and girl talking, you knew that they needed a third wheel. That was standard in the Moonies. No boy and girl can talk without two to one. It has to always be two to one. Can't have, what is that, horizontal relationships like that. You can't have give and take with that kind of low standard. You can't invite that kind of spirit world to attack. You have to, yeah, anyways, those are all ways of lowering someone's boundaries and manipulating people's autonomy. And it's not right. People need to develop in their own way with their own sense of autonomy and their personal space and their boundaries and you can't force relationships with people who just don't have chemistry or people who do like let's say I had chemistry with my first love and when you threw a third wheel in there it made it really fucking weird and maybe that's why I have a lot of social anxiety now or awkwardness because I wasn't allowed to develop in a normal way without feeling like someone was constantly watching me because guess what they were 
<sighs> Anyways, we are constantly told as kids to be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. Constantly. That is like one of the pseudo biblical quotes in the Moonies. Be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. Take over the world is what that is. Moon wanted us to literally take over the world. It's not, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, take take ownership, have dominion, take care of your ducks. It wasn't like that. Like, that's what I'm doing. I'm taking care of my two ducks. I'm taking care of my family. And it's cool. We're we're not taking more than we, we need. And we're giving the society, you know, we're, we're having a simpatico relationship with society. What Moon was talking about was fucking harvesting countries for all of their natural resources. Having all of the blessed families living on scarce, scarce handouts. No, not even handouts. They worked for everything they had to give everything to Moon. He, that, that saying is a loaded term for do your best, have lots of kids, make sure you multiply and, and brainwash them to be my servants. Make sure you give me more than 30% of your income and your children's time and labor and make sure that you build my empire, that we have a seafood industry, that we own the weapons manufacturers around the world, that we also run all the newspaper outlets and have educational resources. And don't forget about the science department and the medical field. We called it being a national messiah or a regional director, but really it's just another tick in the checklist of positions needed for human trafficking. That is loaded language for that. But it was called be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. Yeah. Anyways, I think that's enough here. The last thing that Robert J. Lifton says about loaded language is that either way, your imagination becomes increasingly dissociated from your actual life experiences and may even tend to atrophy from disuse. So that's a really powerful sentence right there because it makes me think of your brain development I feel like if you get out of the moonies at the peak age of any anywhere in your teens or young ages you'll be a, a way better off if you get all the way to like 21 to 25 you're a little less malleable but you're still good but if you're in the moonies until you're in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s or your fucking 60s you have to do a lot more active work to get and reactivate your neuroplasticity. That is hard work. That is not easy. Your neural pathways have, as he said, atrophied. Now, atrophied doesn't mean dead. You can still rehab, but it's extremely difficult. And not in the difficult way where it's impossible, but in the difficult way where you really have to actively try to change your worldview, to expand your language, to be more compassionate with yourself and how long you take. There's, there are treatments out there to reactivate your neuroplasticity. You can also create neuroplasticity in yourself by meditating, going to therapy, really feeling your sensations and following them in your body, 
activating new pathways in which you haven't taken before, seeing yourself in a different light. There are a lot of things you can do to reactivate neuroplasticity. I'm not a brain doctor or scientist or anything. I'm just saying I've done the hard work. You know, I I got out of the Moonies at 21, but I didn't really start really deconstructing it into my 30s. And you know what? You've been here with me for this deconstructive journey. You've probably seen some of my neuroplasticity uh, practices and and you're probably doing them too. And it's important that we talk about it so we build this language, right? Because language is important. Language is the tool that we need to heal our brains. We can either arrest our brains or free our brains. And if it's really just a matter of language, then why not try to expand that first? So loaded language was really fun to talk about. It's very cringy. And it's very, very loaded. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, language is very important to unload. And it's it's the chains on, on your brain when you're in a cult. And also, it's kind of hopeful to know that if that's the chains, then all you got to do is start questioning the language and dissecting it. And that's kind of easy to do, isn't it? Language is very magical. Within 35 minutes, you can have your mind completely changed just by a few words. So yeah, language is fun. I'm not a linguistic person, but I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have anything to say about loaded language and how it affected you, let me know. You can hit me up at Blessed Child Podcast on Instagram. I'm Ren Robot on Facebook and Twitter. And we will talk again soon about the next criteria of thought reform, which is doctrine over person. Wow. Can you just see how all of these just perfectly stack on top of each other? You really do need all eight of them in place to create a authoritarian cult-like environment. Perfect place for thought reform and mind control. I'm very glad that we started talking about this. Thanks for joining me on this journey. And we will talk again soon. Take care of your mental health. And we'll talk again soon. I always say that. Why do I always say that? Because I understand what it's like to be really fucking depressed. And sometimes it was just those words that pulled me out and gave me hope to live for another day. We'll talk again soon.